Amen. How y'all doing this morning? Good to see you. Good to have you with us. Uh, Once you look at your neighbor and just say, man, it sure is glad to have you by my side this morning in the house of the Lord. You look beautiful. Give them like at least two compliments. Your hair is nice. Um, You smell good. And the Lord is with you. Amen. Can we give our our worship team a hand just because for pressing pressing through some uh, technical difficulties there? Just like Kylie said, man, when we come together, I mean, it's hard to get a, a show just running uh, flawlessly, but that's just the thing. It's not really a show. It's, it's us coming together corporately as the body of Christ to worship Jesus, whether a guitar goes bad or whatever. I mean, when, when we sing to the Lord, man, God's here. Amen? So I, I always appreciate the heart of our worship team and how they're willing to, to press through and make the main thing the main thing. But this morning, I want to preach a, a second, second sermon here in this series uh, called Pray. And I want to talk about fervent intercession. And if you have a Bible, you can turn uh, to Acts chapter 12, verse 1 through 17. I'll be reading here in just a moment. But you know, the Bible actually teaches, if you read throughout Scripture, I don't know if you realize this or not, but the Bible teaches you to pray. Anybody amen me on that? Like, I don't know if you realize that or not. Like, it's, it's a very important thing. And sometimes that's a lost art, not only in our world, but in the church itself. And I, I was talking to some people, you know, n- not long ago just about the fact that you, you're, I've been in churches before where it's just in the DNA that like, we're, you know, we're going to go to the altar and pray. We're going to believe God for miracles. We're going to cry out to the Lord. And, and we want that to become a part of our DNA. We want to become a praying people. We want to be known for the fact that, you know what, if I'm going through something, I can go and get up with these people. And, and whether or not God does it, I know one thing, they're going to believe that God will do it. They're going to believe that God will come through on my behalf because I know that those people are praying people and they can get in touch with God. And they can move heaven and earth because they're willing to cry out to, to, cry out to heaven. Amen. I remember when we talk about fervent intercession, it means a lot to me. Because I don't know if you realize this or not, but before I got saved, you know, my teenage years and stuff like that, like I wasn't the type of guy that, that a girl wanted to take home to daddy. You know what I'm talking about? Like when I asked Craig if I could marry his daughter, he fell over and began to weep. <laughs> um, uh, he didn't really, but, but I, I, that's what I thought he might do. But I would say that when I was a young man, when I was in college, probably nobody expected me to get saved and give my life to Jesus and have a radical change. Uh, much less become a pastor and a preacher and proclaim the gospel. I don't think that was on anybody's heart and expected it to happen. But here's the issue. In the middle of my darkness, in the middle of, of all kinds of addiction and just living in a house where I sort of led, led the party and, 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 and led that kind of a lifestyle, there were three moms that were praying for me at that time. I had three moms that were interceding on my behalf. I talked to one of them. You, some of you guys may know her, Shirley Sizemore. She lives over in Oneida, but her, and, uh, her, her son and I lived together for several years. But she said that whenever we were living in the apartment together, she would, uh, she'd come over to our apartment and she'd bring anointing oil. When I was gone and out of the house, she would bring anointing oil and she said that she would put it on the refrigerator she would put it on over all the doorposts, and she told me, she said, I even remember your bed sheets. They were red and, red and blue checkered bed sheets. She said, she said, I filled your bed full of oil. <laughs> I said, I was wondering. I felt a little bit crazy. I, I, I didn't know what was going on. Uh, but, man, we had, you know, we had drugs in the house and liquor bottles all over the house. But she would go in there and intercede and pray over that house. And God is my witness. I didn't realize she was doing it at the time because she'd call Zach up and say, now, when are you boys going to be gone? Is Clay there? Is he not there? What's up? And, you know, and she would go in and just pray over that house. And, and somewhere around the time she started to pray, I started having some strange encounters. I started having like uh, extreme conviction. I'd be sitting in the, at a party and it'd be almost like I'd have an out-of-body experience where I would look around at everything that was going on and I would see the darkness that was influencing all of us. And so I began to have this awareness of God. I began to have this hunger for truth. It led me to reading scripture and like after the course of one year, I started seeking the face of God until it led me into an encounter. I moved out of the apartment, led me into an encounter with Jesus. The power of the Holy Spirit hit my life, set me free radically transformed my life but you know what she said I was talking to her the other day she said you know Clay I started praying like that and she said honestly just to be real with you she said I don't know if I was expecting anything to happen like that but 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 she said it wasn't very long before the party seemed to stop 
you ended up moving out of the apartment, and then not before long after that, y'all were in church, and God had changed your life. And not only that, you were on fire for Jesus. My point is, is how many people are out there right now in the same condition that I was in and nobody's praying for them? Nobody's getting wild enough to say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put some anointing oil in that man's boots. Like, I'm just crazy enough to believe God that if my, my prayers can move heaven and earth and that man needs Jesus, and I'm not going to sit and look back at him and judge him, but I'm going I'm to call out on behalf of heaven to say, God, you need to move in this person's life. God is looking for intercessors. God is looking for people that are willing to get radical and say, God, I believe you can move in this person's life. And I believe it myself that I would not be here today were it not for somebody else praying for me. Would you say amen to that? So what I'm trying to say is that we need to change the DNA of our church to begin to believe that we can move heaven and earth when we call upon the name of the Lord. Now in Acts chapter 12, there's a story. I'm going to read several verses, but I love this story. In Acts chapter 12, it's a story about Peter being in prison. Beginning at verse 1, it says, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. And then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, which is unfortunate. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, and so when he had arrested him, he put him in prison, delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover to put him to death. It says, Peter was therefore kept in prison, notice this, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel, and he's delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she didn't open the gate, but ran in and announced, that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, You're beside yourself, woman. She kept insisting, No, it's Peter, it's so. So they said, It is his angel. Man, that's good theology. Said, so Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord brought him out of that prison. And he said, Go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Amen. Lord, we just ask you to have your way in this word. Speak to our hearts. Stir a spirit of prayer and intercession in our hearts, God, so that we can believe it when we call upon your name, you will literally move heaven and earth. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the beginning of this text, it says that Herod stretched out his hands to harass some of the church. They were going through some intense persecution. Uh, I don't know. I know some of you Christians, you think you get persecuted, but listen, it was a little bit worse back then. Uh, and so they were getting persecuted and put to death and James the brother of John had actually been put to death and Herod said you know what I recognize that this actually pleased the Jewish people to kill this man so I'm going to get Peter too just to, just to make the people happy. Because one thing that you need to understand is that a political spirit and a religious spirit are both motivated by the fear of man. Do you realize that the people that you're voting for in this upcoming election that most of them, the vast majority of them, they are motivated by public opinion. The vast majority of them are not motivated whatsoever about whether or not God thinks it's a good idea or what Scripture says. They're motivated about the sway of the world system and public opinion. Even worse, religious leaders are often swayed by public opinion rather than the Word of God. Amen. And so the religious spirit and the political spirit are both 
swayed by the fear of man and manipulated by public opinion. And the truth is we need courageous leaders, both in the church and in the political system, that are going to say we're going to stand on the Word of God regardless of what the current trend is, regardless of current public opinion. We're going to go with the Word of God. We're going to stand for His truth, and we're going to go in that direction. But see, what happens is, is God actually calls us to intercede on behalf of leaders, both in the political and the religious systems. You say amen to that. Like part of what is going on in our world today is simply because the church has chosen to not pray on behalf of our leaders. We forfeited one of our responsibilities and the fallout of it is is that we actually hand over much of our world systems, our government systems, and even our church systems to demonic forces because we are not prevailing in spiritual warfare and pushing back against the current forces of darkness in our world. So when we cease to pray, we essentially allow evil to reign supreme. Now I'm not saying that ultimately we do know, I mean scripture even prophesies and says that there are going to be dark times, that things are going to get bad. But that does not negate the fact that the church of Jesus Christ is called to pray and believe for the kingdom of heaven to come down on the earth and bring about change. And so God calls us into a place of intercession where we will pray and enter into spiritual warfare. The Bible teaches that Satan is actually called the prince of the power of the air. You ever thought about that? In Ephesians 2 it says that he is the prince of the power of the air. And it says that we all once walked according to the course of this world, according to the desires of our flesh and mind, and we were basically led astray by the prince of the power of the air, which is the spirit that now works in all of us who are disobedient to God. He says there's this overwhelming prevailing atmosphere in the airway. You don't see it, it's in, the, it's in the spiritual realm, but Satan is the prince of the spiritual realm in the second heaven, so to speak. In the unseen realm, there are demonic forces that are swaying human beings in a certain direction. And what you need to understand is that spiritual beings operate through human agreement. God's will is done on earth when we come into agreement with what God desires in His Word. And we say, God, we come into agreement with you. We want to do what your word says. And we're praying that your will would be done right here through us on this earth as it is in heaven. But see, what happens is, as we rebel against God, we come into agreement with demonic force, forces and current public opinion. And then we say, no, God, we're not going to do things your way. Satan, we're coming into agreement with you. And guess what? Satan's will is done on earth as it is in hell. You see the difference? So prayer is essentially you saying, I'm breaking allegiance with the demonic realm. I'm saying this is not what God wants the earth to look like. I'm coming into agreement with the forces of heaven. And I'm saying, God, right here as your ambassador, I'm saying your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And things are done from the spiritual realm into the physical based on who you're in current agreement with. What are you in current agreement with? What's your prayer like in, life in agreement with? And here's the thing. When you don't pray and when you don't enter into spiritual warfare, by default you will be caught up in the pull and the forces of the demonic darkness that is at work in our world. Unless we engage in spiritual warfare and pray into these things, you will naturally just be caught up in the current trend, the current opinion, the current flow of darkness. And this is why he says, no, I need somebody to stand in the gap. I need somebody to pray. I need somebody to come into agreement with heaven so that God can perform his will on earth as it is in heaven and push back against the darkness. This is why 1 Timothy 2, Paul is urging Timothy. Matter of fact, he says, I urge then... First of all, somebody say first of all. Yeah, get it. Like he's saying, this is what I want y'all to do first thing. Petitions, prayers, and intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and all those in authority. Why? That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Who wants a peaceful and quiet life in godliness and holiness? I'm saying amen to that. I'd like to have that, Lord. He said, this is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
And so if you look at scripture, here's what he's saying. He's saying, when you come together as a church, first of all, I need you to offer up prayers and petitions. I need you to offer up intercessions for all people. And I need you specifically to pray for those who are in authority. Because what God desires is for you to be able to live a quiet and a peaceable life and live in godliness and holiness. And get this, and God actually desires everybody out there in the world to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He says, so if you want to live a quiet and peaceable life and you want to see people get saved, you know what you need to start doing first of all? Lift up your petitions and your intercession. Because when you lift up your intercession, you push back in the spiritual airwaves the powers of darkness. Have you ever been into a place where you just sense darkness? You ever been into a place there's just a prevailing atmosphere? Some, I have people come to me all the time. They say, in my workplace, man, it's just so negative. And there's so much gossip. And there's so much darkness, man. And these people talk about absolute filth all day long. And I'm just sitting under the weight and the oppression of that. It's because there is a current spiritual atmosphere that is bringing oppression in that area. And what he's saying is, is if you sense that and you feel that, see what happens as Christians is we sense and feel that and we don't lift up the first prayer to push back against it. God's saying if you feel the oppression of it, I need you to stand in the gap and intercede on behalf of those people. Why? He wants you to go to work and live a quiet and godly and peaceable life and he wants them people talking filth to get saved, convicted by the Holy Spirit, born again, transformed, so that then when you walk into your workplace, revival has hit the place because you've been in intercession. Take you a bottle of oil up in your workplace and put it on the people's desk when they ain't looking and say, God, I'm believing you to bring conviction in their soul. I'm blessing them in the night. Get weird with it, church. You ain't got to do it publicly, but I'm saying prayer works and you need to get it in your heart. We've been functioning in unbelief way too long. If we believed, we'd pray more. See, the reason Shirley came in there and waited till I was gone and carried a big fat bottle of oil in the place is because she believed that it would work. She believed that if she called upon the name of God, God would move on her behalf. Well, it got her son saved, it got her son's best friend saved, and it started a movement. It started a movement, put people in ministry, her prayers. Prayers can change things, y'all. Prayers can move heaven and earth, and I want it to get so deep into our heart. Do you remember in the book of Daniel chapter 10, it gives such a beautiful picture because Daniel is worried about the future of Israel. There's bad news coming. They're under judgment. He has no idea what's going to happen to Israel. He has a few prophetic words, but he needs a clear vision from God. And it says he began to mourn, he began to weep, and he began to fast. And he fasted 21 days and prayed to God. And he mourned, waiting on God to move. And on the 21st day, something miraculous happens if you read the story. The angel Gabriel shows up out of nowhere and he's like, what's up, Dan? And Daniel's like, not much, man. I've been sitting here praying and fasting 21 days, waiting on God to move. Turns out here here you are. The angel Gabriel says this. He says, the moment you began to pray, we heard you from heaven. The moment you bowed your knees and began to come to me in prayer and fasting, we heard you. And God the Father released me, but I was withheld by the prince of Persia. He is saying that in the spiritual realm when he was released to move and bring an answer to Daniel that he was resisted by a demonic principality in the spiritual realm that put up war against him. What I'm telling you is that when you begin to pray, don't stop because war is breaking out in the heavens and you need to continue and persist and intercede until there is the breakthrough. So many people give up just before the breakthrough. What if he'd said, boys, I'm starving to death. I've done 10 days. Surely that's long enough. Amen, right? I, I know I've done that on the fast. I'm 10 days in. How, what are we going to do? I need, I need Subway. And the angel said, well, daggone, you know, if he just stuck it out a little bit longer, we'd have had some breakthrough. But I'm telling you, you need to start seeing your prayers as spiritual warfare. Yeah, absolutely. God can do anything He wants to at any time. He is sovereign. But He has created the world in such a way where certain things do not happen unless His people pray. That's just all there is to it. Certain things are not going to happen unless God's people pray. And there's a mysterious power to this intercession. Intercession is praying for someone else's well-being in a nutshell. It's standing in the gap for somebody else. Richard Foster said it like this. He said, the prayer of intercession requires something from us. It requires our heart. When we hear and see the news, 
and our hearts want to turn away from the pain and suffering we see, the prayer of intercession calls us to stay present to the pain and to pray for those who are suffering. Last night, I got like three different messages from different people. Man, people going through some suffering and pain. And what I want to do in my flesh is I want to turn it off and watch TV. You know, maybe there's a football game on. Anybody amen me? I know y'all, y'all did that last night. But I felt a nudge in my spirit. Andre goes to bed like 8, 8 p.m. So I felt a nudge in my spirit. I was like, Andre, you just go on and get up in the bed. I'm going to walk outside. And I started to walk outside. And as I walk outside, God starts to share it. I enter into the pain of these folks. And I start to feel the burden of God for these people. And, I, and I, you know what? It's not uncomfortable. It would be way more fulfilling to the flesh to eat ruffles and watch a football. But when God pushes you into a place, you've got to believe that there's something that may or may not happen depending on if you're going to answer that call to pray and intercede for people that are suffering. It requires something of you. Marjorie Thompson said intercession is a form of hospitality because we welcome others into our inmost sanctuary of compassion. We welcome the pain of others into our life when we start to pray for them. There's people that I don't even know when I see them, but when, I, when I'm alone by myself, I pray for them. And the only connection that we have is the fact that I'm praying for them. And I've invited them into my heart. You know, the Gospels, it tells the story of Jesus and how the kingdom of God came through Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you move to Acts. It was the Holy Spirit anointing Jesus, which is why he called the, was called the Christ. And the power of God, the kingdom of heaven, broke out on earth through Jesus. Then you move to the book of Acts, which is, some people call it the Acts of the Apostles. It's really the continued acts of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. Jesus is simply continuing his work that he left, but he went home to be with the Father at the right hand, sent the Spirit, and now Jesus lives on the inside of apostles who are now moving out and performing the acts of God in the world around them. But what's interesting to note about the book of Acts is that other than the book of Psalms, Acts mentions prayer more than any other book. Now, Psalms is a big book. And not only that, it's a book about prayer. Acts is about 26 chapters or so, but it mentions prayer more than any other book. Why? Because if you are going to act with God and let God work through you, the greatest thing that you need in your life for God to flow through your life in power is prayer. There's a correlation, a direct correlation on whether or not Jesus continues his work in the earth to whether or not his body is praying. Amen. That's why when we have a prayerless church, we have a powerless church. That's why when we have a prayerless church, people aren't getting saved. That's why when we have a prayerless church, situations aren't changing. That's why when you have a prayerless church, you don't sense the presence of God. And you end up in a religious cycle of just going through the motions, but God calls us to this place. I was, I was reading this story. Uh, there's, a, there's a book by a guy named Brother Yoon, Y-U-N. He's a Chinese man. He can't even speak English. He wrote a book called The Heavenly Man. And they translated it into English. But this guy was in, you know, like in the 60s and 70s, he got saved. And he was in communist China. And he's just, he gets on fire for God. Man, he's preaching the gospel everywhere. They throw him in prison. Uh, they end up releasing him. He goes and preaches the gospel again. They throw him in prison. They warn him. They're like, dude, if you do this again, you're not go- you don't understand. There's going to be consequences. And he basically said, okay, whatever. I- I'm going to preach the gospel regardless. They let him loose. He preaches the go- he's preaching the gospel. People are getting saved everywhere in China. And then you know what? They arrested him again for preaching the gospel. And they took a sledgehammer and shattered his legs from the hip down to the ankle. And he's in prison, and he tells the story about how he's sitting there in prison, crying to God and mad at God. He said, Lord, what, I, I'm preaching the gospel for you, and now I'm in here in this prison with my legs shattered, my ankles shattered. I can't do anything anymore. I'm not going to be able to preach the gospel anymore. And he's basically screaming out to God. And he says in the book that the, that the guards come in and say, Listen, Brother Yoon, we can help you. The man you're crying out to is not real. If you will renounce your faith, and, and we will help you. We'll, get you. we'll get you a doctor. We'll put you out. You don't even have to stay in this prison. Just renounce your faith. And he said, about the time they said that, he said, no, my God is real. And he felt the Holy Spirit rise up in him, and he began to sing psalms unto God. He began to say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the enemies, even when my enemies and foes rose against me, he said they stumbled and fell. And though an army should have 
encamp against me. My heart shall not fear. One thing I have desired of the Lord, this will I be confident in. I will pursue the Lord. He, he's going through these psalms and he's singing to God and he says while he's in the midst of it, you know what happens? He says an angel shows up, touches his body. He's healed. He stands up and the door is opened and he walks out. And this angel is guiding him. A light is guiding him through here. And he walks out. And he, when he comes out of the prison, there's a cab sitting out there waiting on him. He comes out. He gets in the cab. The cab driver says, you look like you're in a hurry. Where do you want to go? And he goes off. And he continues to preach the gospel. Amen. I, now, I don't know if you believe that or not. But see, I'm, I'm crazy enough to believe that. And some here, here's the thing. Sometimes I like to tell wild stories as much as some of you function in unbelief and just think I'm some kind of whack job because I believe God can do anything. And I think it's important that we allow our faith to arise and we need to hear these testimonies of what God is capable of. See, he did the same thing in Scripture with Peter. He did the same thing in Scripture with Peter, and he did it with this man. So Peter is in this situation that's beyond his ability to change. Have you ever been in a situation that's actually beyond your ability to change? Maybe you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, Man, ain't nothing we can do. I mean, we, this is beyond our ability to change. In this particular set of circumstances, there ain't none of one, not one of them guys knew Herod. None, nobody had political pull. You know what I'm saying? Like we, They couldn't call the, the senator. They couldn't call the county attorney and get it fixed. Like it, was, it wasn't something that they had political pull for. They couldn't do it in their own human strength. They wasn't going to go fight the Roman government or anybody like that because they kill them all. So they didn't have the ability to set them free, and they realized that, and that's why it's so important that they entered into a place of prayer because when we enter into that, we are tapping into God's divine power and God's divine reality where He can legitimately move heaven and earth. We're saying, God, I may not have the power, but here's the thing. When we intercede, it often doesn't make rational sense. I don't even know how prayer works. Somebody should be like, well, how does prayer even work? I don't know. What am I, a metaphysicist? Well, I, I don't know how it works. All I know is that we are commanded to do it. And we have examples throughout Scripture where spiritual things happen. And sometimes we pray and the answer doesn't come. Sometimes we pray and the answer does come. But Jesus teaches over and over again, when you pray, you need to persist in prayer because there's spiritual realities that are going on that you are not aware of. And that's why you need to persist in prayer for these things to do. But when we, when we, when we get in this situation, we can often fall into one of two extremes. One is resignation, and the other is relying on our, on our own human strength. So like most of us, what we do is, well, I mean, Herod killed James. He's going to kill Peter too. What's the point in praying? If God, was going, if God delivers Peter, I mean, like if he was going to deliver Peter through our prayers, he would have just delivered James too. Anybody amen me on that? Some of you have quit praying because God didn't answer one prayer. And I'm telling you, just because one prayer did not get answered does not give you the right to, to quit believing God for another answered prayer. Just because James lost his life does not mean that God didn't want to set Peter free and move something in that situation. Listen, we're all going to lose some battles in this life. We're all going to pray for some things, and we're all going to lose some things. That's why we get to look forward to the future when Jesus comes and redeems all things. But until then, we've got battle to do. And just because we lost the last battle doesn't mean we ain't going to fight for this one. Somebody amen me on that. Just because we lost the last battle does not mean we're not going to fight on this one. See, we can go to resignation or we can go to relying on human strength and say, no, we can get this done on our own effort. We'll figure something out. We'll call somebody. We'll get somebody done. We'll call the attorney. We'll get the doctors involved. We'll, no, I'm saying that intercession is the third way because there's only so much we can do in our own strength. But you can't resign and you can't give up. So now you're calling upon God. And that's why Acts 12, 5, it says that Peter was in prison, but constant Prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Constant prayer. He's letting us know that when people pray with fervent prayer, that, that changes, that word changes. Some places it says fervent prayer, some places it says unceasing, some it says constant. But it has this idea that you're persistent, you're fervent, you're passionate, you're continuing, you're unwilling to give up. And it says that while they were praying, he was sleeping. Ain't that funny? Like Peter's just in there sleeping, and I can kind of look at this one of two ways. Like, one, he, he, he's sleeping, so maybe he's just in radical peace. But if I'm thinking, you know what, I'm in prison, and I'm going to be dead tomorrow, 
I'm thinking, you know what? I get nervous over church on Sunday. Like, I'm probably not going to sleep at night. Like, I'm going to be up. I may even be praying, God, deliver me. But this man is sleeping, and here's what I think. I think sometimes, you ever just been going throughout your day, and all of a sudden you just sense some joy and some peace, and you don't really know where it came from? I like to think when that happens that somebody's praying for me somewhere. And somebody's touched heaven on my behalf and said, you know what? Just bless Clay. Strengthen him. Pour your spirit out on it. I know, I know of at least two people that pray for me. You know what I'm saying? I don't know how many of y'all in here pray for me. I know of at least two people that pray for me, and I'm thinking, oh, they must have hit me right then. Oh, bless God. Oh, thank you, Lord. And, and, and I'm thinking, you know what? Maybe it's because they're praying for him that peace has overwhelmed his soul. And he's able to sleep in that prison. The other thing that I think sometimes about this is that Peter represents those of us who are honestly, and those people that, that are out there who are honestly spiritually dead and asleep. They're bound up with chains. They're surrounded by people that keep them locked into their own personal prison. And the only thing that is going to wake them up and break their chains is the prayer of the saints and the prayer of the church. Imagine that. There's so many people, I'm telling you right now, that are lost, that need Jesus Christ, that need freedom from addiction, that need freedom from bondage. And God is saying, I need to stir my people to intercede on their behalf. Because I want to move heaven and earth on their behalf, but I need you to rise up and I need you to pray. Can I tell you all one more other crazy story? I've been telling a lot of crazy stories lately, but I, I'm, I'm telling them. I know, sometimes I fear that people will think that I'm some kind of whack job. I really do. But I also want you to hear things that will strengthen your faith. When I was about 23, 24 years old, I just started preaching. And this is a true story. Matter of fact, I asked one of the guys that was involved who is a, still a pastor today. He used, used to be my pastor. And I said, was that real? Did that really happen? Or am I imagining that like 11 years later? He said, no, dude, that's as real as anything I've ever experienced. And, 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 but it's not something that we tell because it's so crazy. And uh, so, so I was preaching at this place. It's kind of like a youth event. There's like 80, 100 kids there. And, and we're preaching out in the field. And I, and I preached, gave an altar call. A few kids got saved. And somewhere around the end, like this guy, this older gentleman, does something. And it looks spiritual to the untrained eye, okay? It looks like a good thing. But when it happened, it, it was like it knocked the breath out of me. And I knew this is not right. Something is not right about this. And it literally, I mean, I, I got sick to my stomach. The heaviest burden that I could ever imagine came upon me. And it was so heavy. I went down to the bathroom. I was sitting there putting water on my face. I was trembling. I was like, I was like, Lord, what is this? And all I knew in my heart is that something was wrong with this guy. Didn't know what it was. Didn't know how to handle it. I was about 24 years old. I had no sense. I've been saved about four years. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't know what was going on. And so I decided I'm going to pray. And I'm, gonna, I'm driving back from this thing. And as I'm driving back, one of my buddies called me and said, Hey, man, we're up here. Won't you come and eat? I felt the whole, I said, yeah, I'll come and eat, man, that's fine. And I felt the Holy Spirit just impress upon me, no, you need to go home and pray. And I called him back and said, dude, I'm not coming, I got to go home and pray. So I went home that night, I fasted Friday night, I prayed for that man. I woke up Saturday morning with the same burden, I fasted, I prayed for that man. Sunday morning, I woke up with the same burden, I prayed all day for that man. And Sunday night, it was like I felt the burden sort of lift. Hadn't eaten anything yet. I woke up Monday morning and... I'm praying, but I had felt the burden lift, and I get a call about, about Monday uh, morning, and it was from my pastor, and he says, man, you ain't going to believe this. I'm going to tell you a story. I said, what was it? He said, well, we was riding down the road, and he was riding down the road with one of my other friends, and he said, this guy called us and said he needed to talk to me. So, so I went and picked him up, and he said he got in the car with me, and he said, we're, we're driving down the road. He starts to pour out his heart. He says, man, he says, man I need serious help. He said, I've been going through this situation and he said, I'm in this place. He said, I've, I've, I've planned on how to commit suicide, and I had a plan for it, and I was going to do it this weekend. But I felt a change in my heart. He said, I wanted, I wanted to get out of this. He said, but I need help. I need prayer. And so he's saying this to these men, and my buddy says this. says that my pastor pulls over the vehicle, turns around in the vehicle, and he starts to pray for him fervently. And somewhere in a long, drawn-out prayer, while he's got hands on him praying for him, he says, God, send an angel to arrest this demon of spirit suicide and take it away from him in Jesus' name. And here's what, they, here's what my buddy said 
He said that when he said that, a wind, you could hear a wind outside coming, and it got stronger as it got closer to the vehicle, and you could feel it hit the vehicle. And when it hit the vehicle, this, some, you could tell something left that man, and he's sitting there in the car weeping, breaking down. As far as I know, that dude's doing good and in church and serving the Lord now. Yeah, you can give the Lord a hand clap. I've never told that story publicly. One of the reasons is I wanted to protect the people involved. But y'all don't know who it is, praise God. So, But here's the point. Is that, is that real? Is it real that God understood that this man is on the verge of suicide? And I, but I can put a burden on a young man who will pray and intercede. And I can move heaven and earth. And it will lead to a situation where, I, where, where we can move heaven and set this man free. What happens if you start to be sensitive to what God is impressing on you for people to pray for them about? Now, I'm not saying I sense that all the time, but I'm saying if you become a person of prayer, you, you will become aware of what God's heart is, and you will be able to pray for people, and your prayer will change situations. God has set our relationship up in such a way that literally heaven and earth move in response to prayer. Heaven and earth move in response to prayer. I know that's a wild story, but God is my witness. It happened. We'll play it back when we get to heaven. Walter Wink said this. If you've been in small groups, you've probably read this. He said intercessory prayer is spiritual defiance of what is in the way of what God has promised. Intercession visualizes an alternative future to the one apparently fated by the momentum of current forces. Prayer infuses the air of a time yet to be into the suffocating atmosphere of the present. He says this, history belongs to the intercessors who believe God's future into being. He said, you want to change history? He said, I need people that will realize that what's currently going on in our world is not what God wants. I see what God wants based on His Word and based on promises in Scripture. And I'm going to grab a hold of heaven through intercession and I'm going to bring it down into the suffocating atmosphere of the present. And through prayer, I'm going to change human history. And I love that last line because he says, you know, most people say, you know what, history belongs to the movers and shakers. History belongs to the people who have the most money. History belongs to the people who have the most resources. But no, he says, no, history belongs to the person who is willing to cry out to God in prayer. Now, I don't know if you believe that or not, but based on the Word of God, I believe it. It says constant prayer is made. Peter's broken out of this place. And it's so funny because Peter's broken out. And they're over in the house praying, Oh, Lord, bless Peter. Please set him free. Break the chain. Set him free. Moving his life. Moving his life. Somebody's over here in tongues. You know, like it's like a real prayer meeting. You get why no laughs. Yeah. I mean, like it, they're getting wild in there praying. And, and all of a sudden, Peter knocks on the door. The girl goes up to the door and says, Man, that, that's Peter. Well, she's so glad she don't even open the door. She's like, it's Peter. And they're, and they're saying, they're like, no, Lord, please set Peter free. They're, they're, they're praying. It's been answered. They're still believing God in the back. And she says, it's Peter. They say, no, it's got to be it's got to be his ghost or something. It'd take, more, it'd take me more faith to believe that it was his ghost than it was actually Peter. But isn't that interesting, though, if you think about that? Because how many times do we even come to prayer meetings? Now, I want you all to hear me out on this. How many times do we even come to prayer meetings? We know it's the right thing to do as Christians. So we pray for people in bad situations. We pray for situations that are going on. But in our hearts, if the answer were to come right then, we don't believe enough to actually think, well, there it is, and receive it. Because we're praying in a state of unbelief. We're praying because we know it's the right thing to do, but we don't actually expect God to do it. The good, the good news is they're over here praying and not expecting it, and God does it anyway. So He can take my weak faith, He can take my weak prayer, and just because I'm willing to say, God, I don't know if I believe you're going to do it or not, but right now, Lord, I'm asking you to move in this situation. He said, I can work with that right there. I'll move heaven and earth. I'll send an angel. I'll set that man free. I thank God that he'll take even my weak faith and my weak intercession to work the miraculous. Now let me close real quick with three quick points. This first one won't be so quick though, but it'll be mildly quick. When we pray and intercede, there are a number of things that are happening. And number one is that intercession moves us beyond ourselves. See, we live in an I, me, me, me generation. Even our prayer is about who? Me, me, me. We're not, we don't care if the world changes. We don't care if the world gets better. We don't care if morality changes. We don't care if the right people get elected and all. We don't care what happens. Let the world burn as long as I get blessed. 
Somebody amen me this morning, right? Let the world burn as long as I got money in the bank, my kids are doing good, and everything's fine because I need prayer for myself. And God's saying, no, I'll take care of your family. I've done already covenanted with you, but I need you to stand in the gap on behalf of the world. Isaiah 59, verse 14, it says, Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands afar off. Truth is fallen in the street. Equity cannot enter. So truth fails. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Is this not the time we're living in? Literally, he's saying, if you choose to say, I'm not going with you on that, y'all, that's evil. I'm going in the opposite direction. He says, you make yourself a prey. They will attack you for departing from evil in our world. He says, that's the world that we live in. And he says, then the Lord saw it. And it displeased him that there was no justice. And notice this. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness. It sustained him. The Lord saw it and it grieved him because there was not a man that would stand in the gap. Throughout history, God has always looked for a man that would stand in the gap on behalf of the people and cry out. He started with Abraham at Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, you know what? I'm about to bring judgment because of their wickedness, but I'm going to share with Abraham what I'm about to do because I know he's going to raise up his children after me. And so he shares it with Abraham. You know what Abraham says? He says, Lord, you're the judge of all the earth. I'm but dust and ashes, but let me talk to you a minute. Are you going to kill the righteous with the wicked? He said, well, if there's 50 over there in Sodom that are still righteous, the Lord says, all right, Abraham, I won't destroy it if, if there's 50 righteous. He says, Lord, I'm going to go a little deeper with you. He says, how are you going to kill the righteous with the wicked? What if there's 45? I mean, this is like bargaining with God. You know what I'm talking about? And he says, Lord, I, I tell you something. And he keeps going down, 40, 40, 35, 30. And he gets all the way down to 10. And finally, he says, if there's 10 righteous in there, I won't destroy it. Problem is, there weren't 10 righteous. But he's able to deliver his, his own nephew Lot and their family from that place because of his intercession. But what is God doing? He's bringing him into a place because what God always wants is somebody to stand in the gap. He says, it's wicked down here, but I'm calling you into a place where you see my heart. I want you to stand in the gap. I want you to say, Lord God, in wrath, remember mercy. God says to Moses, Moses, they've rebelled against me. Uh, you step aside. I'm going to destroy them. We're going to start over. What does Moses do? He takes the picture of Christ. He stands in the gap and he says, Lord, what will the world think if you destroy them now? That you just brought them out of the land of Egypt to do evil to them? He says, no, Lord, far be it from you. He says, if you're going to kill them, he said, blot my name out too. And he stands in the gap on behalf of God's people. And it's the craziest thing. I remember getting in theological debates about it in seminary. And finally I said, boys, I don't know if God changed his mind. I don't, I don't know how all that stuff works. All I know is Moses prayed and it changed the situation. Moses prayed and it changed the situation. And we need a burden for the issues around us. You need a burden for the issues around us. You need to see God's heart and you need to understand that my prayer can shape things. It can change things. I love what Jesus says in John 15. He says this. He says, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. Because the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. He says, if you come into a place of prayer, if you get alone with God, folks, God will start to share his heart with you. You'll be sensitive. You'll get an impression. Richard was telling me, he's, he, he's been praying. He prays a lot. He's a praying man. And he was telling me just this past week, in prayer, a certain guy out of nowhere got impressed upon his heart. Well, he just thinks, well, since I'm in prayer and I get this guy impressed upon my heart, it's got to be the Lord. I'm going to pray for him. And he prays until he, a, a burden wells up. It brings him to tears. He's broken over this guy. And he ends up calling him, and the Lord puts the story of the prodigal son on his heart. And he shares that story with him, talks to him, prays for him. And the guy starts crying, and the guy says, man, you know. And it ended up being about something in his own relationship with his dad, but that story spoke to him. What was God doing? God was sharing his heart for that man and saying, I need you to intercede for him. And God gave him a word. Imagine what kind of impact that's going to have. In prayer, God's going to speak to you. In prayer, in your alone place with God, God will speak to you about some people, about some situations, and if you begin to pray, things will change. Amen? A couple more things and I'll, I'm finishing up. Intercessors don't shift God's unwillingness. It's not like God's up there saying, no, I don't really want to move, but if you beg me enough, I'll do it. No. Intercessors don't shift God's unwillingness. They become the manifestation of His willingness. 
You want to know what God wants to do? Look at Jesus. But we live in a broken world in which God has designed it in such a way that human beings must come into agreement with God's will. We partner with God. There's so many things that God wants to do, but He wants us to partner with Him in it. And that's why He calls us to intercede and pray. Ezekiel 22, verse 29, it says, The people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap for me, before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But notice this, but I found no one. And basically he's saying, there's certain things that I don't want to do, but when I look for somebody to intercede, I can't find anybody. He's saying there's certain things I do want to do, but when I look at it, I'm not finding anybody that's agreeing with me in prayer for me to do it. Do you get that? He's saying, I need you to come into agreement with there. He wondered that there was no intercessor. It's so interesting. This word for intercessor is the same word that Job uses to say a lightning bolt strikes the mark. A lightning bolt strikes the mark. And you see this picture in Revelation, actually, where it says that the prayers of the saints are offered up to the Lord as incense. And it says, when he received the prayers of the saints in a bowl, he dumped them out on the earth, and there was thundering and lightnings and a great earthquake. The word intercessor has the same context of a lightning bolt hitting its mark. See, lightning is a power transfer from heaven to earth. And when we intercede, what we're doing is we're generating power in the heavenlies that at a certain point gets released and hits the earth and hits the mark. And he's saying, you need to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven and let it hit God's mark. Come into agreement with what God wants to do. Number two, intercession calls us to a life of trust. Because here's the thing, if you're going to intercede, you've got to believe that song that we just sung a while ago. That God is good, God wants to move in situations, and when I pray, He will hear my prayer and He will answer it. You have to believe God. There's got to be faith stirred up that makes you trust and believe that if I pray, God's good. He, wanna move, he's, he wants to move even more than I do. I'm telling you right now, God wants to move even more than you do in your life and in these situations. And here's my last point. Intercession draws us into the mystery of Christ's intercession for us. Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father right now praying for us. Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite authors, he says this. He says, one of the greatest vocations we as Christians have is to pray for others. My sense is that you will be closer to the Lord Jesus the more you pray for others because Jesus came for others and praying for others is entering more deeply into the mystery of His divine intercession. And I want you to understand something, that every single day of your life, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding on your behalf. He is praying for you. The Bible says He ever lives to make intercession for us. But what He's saying is, I want to invite you into that divine intercession. Because there are some Peters out there in our world that are bound up in chains, living in their own prison, and I'm waiting on you to bring that constant prayer, that church. Now, I'm telling you, there ought to be, uh, with all the people that are in this church, there ought to be prayer going up all day, every day. We ought to have generated so much power in heaven based on our prayers that when we meet together, the lightning bolt strikes and hits the mark. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I don't know if that stirs you up or not, but I've been sitting here meditating on prayer and praying, and I just sense this thing in the Spirit where God is saying, look, if you all will get this in your hearts and you'll begin to once again believe in prayer and call out to me, you're going to generate some power in heaven, and I'm going to release my will on the earth. Things are going to change. Things are going to be done, but I'm asking you, look, here's the thing. You don't give up on prayer just because it don't get answered the way you want it when you want it. We're commanded to pray regardless. But when you become a praying person, it changes you. It gives you God's heart. You stand in the gap and God begins to bring people out of prison. He shines a light into their dark spots. Amen. So I want us to bow our heads this morning. Pray together. Thank you, Lord. I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe some of you, you're, you're, you're kind of toying with the idea of, man, I, I really need Jesus. I don't know if I've you know, fully surrendered my life to him or not. But that's something that I want to do. And I sense the Holy Spirit drawing me into that place. Just between me and you and God right now is an act of faith. Would you raise your hand and say, that's me. I'm I want to surrender my life fully to the Lord Jesus. I'm ready to follow him. 
I need salvation. I need eternal life. I see one hand here. Anybody else? Anybody just ask me. I want you to pray for me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else? Got a couple of people that raise their hand. I just want to pray for those folks right now. And while we're praying for these folks, would you pray for the people that don't know Jesus, that need the atmosphere of darkness to be pushed back? Would you just pray with me this morning? Father, I pray for these two that raise their hand. And I pray, Lord, that right now, Holy Spirit, you would do a regenerating work in their heart. God, you'd give them a new heart and a new mind. And Lord God, as we confess our sins to you, Lord Jesus, we know that we are cleansed in your blood and we are forgiven. And so I pray right now that they would sense that forgiveness, that you'd fill them with your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we confess you this morning as Lord of our lives. We believe that you died on the cross for our sin, that you were raised again from the dead on the third day, and we confess you as Lord of our lives. And Lord, there's so many other people that need to make that a reality. So we as a church this morning are praying that you would push back the darkness so that the lost would be found, so that the blind would see again, Lord Jesus, so that doors of faith would be opened, so that people could come to repentance and to the knowledge of the truth. Because you said that when we offer up our intercession, Lord, it's your desire that all should be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so we're saying, Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and save souls, God, that don't know you, Jesus. And use us as your instruments to bring about your will on earth. Lord, stir up prayer in the hearts of people this morning, God, that we could begin to seek you and call upon your name and that know and know that when we call upon the name of Jesus, God, that you're moving heaven and earth. Lord, we believe you this morning in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name, I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to worship here for a minute. And I want us to continue this spirit of prayer. There's a few people that I honestly, that I'd like to pray for. But I'm going to open this altar up, give you a chance to respond. You can pray at your seat in worship. Jared, is Jennifer's back there beside you, isn't she? Yeah. I want us to pray for Jennifer. Maybe y'all just, if you're there beside her, David, just put a hand on her. Just stretch your hand toward her. She's been battling some illness, battling cancer for years, and going through chemo and stuff like that but I just I've been praying for her and I just I feel that burden for her but I, I just believe God's doing something special in your all's life and so Lord we just bless them right now Jared and Jennifer and I pray Jesus that you pour your spirit out on them and on their family pray God that you just reveal yourself to them in a greater way than ever before and God I just pray that you would bring the kingdom of God on Jennifer's body that, Lord Jesus, you would remove all cancer for it to never return again in the name of Jesus. Lord, that you would heal her, that you would strengthen her. God, that you would fill her up with your power, God. But we thank you and we receive that healing power that you offer, Lord, by the stripes of Jesus. Lord, we just speak your healing into her life right now. And we thank you, Lord, for the answers that you bring to prayer in these situations, Lord. And for so many other people that are battling illness and sickness this morning, Lord, I pray that you would touch them by the power of your spirit and you'd raise them up and you would heal them and you would strengthen them. In Jesus' mighty name, Lord, we call upon you and we thank you, Lord.